0: Good to be with you this morning, to worship with you. Hope you're doing well out there. Looking forward to tacos in a little bit. Uh, Getting ready for communion. And uh, I want to turn your attention now to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. And we're going to be working through, uh, starting at verse 28 and the following. Um, Just as a reminder before we... I read the text that this is a text that was written by somebody who was set out to write a biography of who Jesus is, who just so happens to be one of Jesus' closest friends, right? That uh, John is John the Beloved. and So John the Beloved, one of the closest companions and disciples of Jesus, has set out to write these words so that we might understand what it was like to be with Jesus as he walked the earth and what it would mean for the implications for each and every person that walks the earth, that it might teach us the best ways to live our life. Um, And I believe that in this section of the scripture, there's so much to see and observe about who Jesus is and how he uh, interacted with his heavenly father and what that implicates for us as we seek to live our lives and to live them in light of who Jesus is and who God is and the Holy Spirit's work. Uh, With that in mind, will you pray with me and I'll read the text. Father God, uh, would you uh, help us to surrender our will to your will? And Jesus, uh, would you uh, illuminate and be our light along life's path as we seek to make choices and decisions that would bring flourishing and goodness and beauty and abundance into our lives. Holy Spirit, would you uh, meet us in our weaknesses in the places where we've fallen short of um, walking in light of uh, the glory of God, that you would be uh, there at the bottom to lift us up, um, to give us what we would need in order to uh, be the people you've called us to be and to discover our true selves in light of who you are. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, I am in the section John chapter 12, starting at verse 20, excuse me, and, and following. We'll be on the screens as well. It says this, Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival, They came to Philip who was from Bethesda in Galilee with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew. Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd that was there and heard it, said it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, This voice was for your benefit, not mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show the kind of death that he was going to die. The crowd spoke up. We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man will be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. While you have the light before darkness overtakes you. Whoever walks in the dark does not know where they are going. But believe in the light while you have the light so that you may become children of the light. And when he had finished speaking, Jesus left and hid himself from them. It's just a couple of ideas here as we get into the text. Background notes. Um, this is a, a time in Jesus' life where we see there's a transition taking place from what we've already learned about in our gospel as we've been tracking through that. Jesus has been having a lot of conversations with Jewish people, uh, the people that were in the crowds that were, he was interacting with, and in particular, the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the religious establishment. He's having a lot of conversations with them about who he is, right? And that's the biography of Jesus. John's trying to reveal the character of who Jesus is. But now in this story, we actually are discovering there is a new group of people that we've seen a little bit throughout the text, but are now... Uh, be going to be discussed in a more particular way. And in so doing, we're going to get to see, we've seen in this text, uh, a lot of Jesus' mission and how he articulates his mission, what he came to do while he was here on earth. And there's a question lying underneath the text, which is who's really invited? Who is really invited to be with Jesus? right? Because the new group of people that is on the scene here in this part of the text are the Greeks, right? This group of people that would have been viewed as unclean in Jesus' culture and society. Let us not forget that Jesus was raised in and participated in a culture of purity, right? Set set on the scene from the book of Leviticus, where the people of God were called to repeat the holiness of God. And the way that they did that was by determining who was clean and who was unclean, what rituals were clean and what rituals were unclean. And their law and the Torah were all there in order to help them to organize everything in their culture around this way, this model of understanding who God is, so that they could participate in the holiness of God well as those laws built on laws built on laws we've learned right that what Jesus came to do was actually to return to the spirit of the law which animated the law at the beginning and in order to do that he didn't abolish the law he was fulfilling the law and in order to do that what he had to do was challenge practices that were going on and also to do a work that would make way for this new mission first to the Jews then to the Gentiles right to make a way for this new mission on earth to develop a new capacity for the people that he was with in order to allow for God's mission to go forth into the world and so he's describing something here He's describing a process that he is going to undergo in order to bring this mission to fulfillment. And it's the kind of thing that for us, when we read it, we feel our will come to the surface, don't we? And we see there's a conversation around our will and the will of God, And Jesus is our model for how to think about these things. So that's what I want to do, is look at how Jesus' mission is on display here and how that informs our mission in this life. The first verse uh, where I think we can pick up on something important here is when Jesus says this. So just think of this. If you're one of the disciples, you've just come to Jesus with like a very like, tangible question. There's some Greek guys that want to meet you, Jesus. What do you say? And Jesus doesn't answer their question, at least not in the way of like, yeah, bring them along, or no, they can't come. No, he takes this opportunity to explain something really big that's coming. And the first thing that he says in reply to this question is, the hour has come. The hour has come for the son of man is to be glorified. I think one of the most important things when we think about when we think about mission, Jesus mission is his ability to know what season he's in. Because before this there's many times where he's talking to he's done a miracle and people are asking him you know, what is this all about? And he's saying, well, my hour has not yet come, right? My hour has not yet come, but in this text now we see we're moving towards the cross. Jesus is moving towards the cross in the narrative. And so here we see Jesus is identified his hour has come. The author Pete Scazzaro's work, maybe you know it because it got really popular during the pandemic. And it was really a beautiful thing, I think, for him as an author, because he had been spending a lot of time. His life's work was really about helping leaders identify what kind of season that they're living in. And then when the pandemic happened, then everybody started to read his books because they finally got to the point where they were like, okay, this thing about being emotionally healthy um, is on now on my radar. Because the things that I used to be able to do and the things I used to be able to, uh, you know, make happen in my work life, now I can't do that anymore. I'm in a new season. This is a totally different orientation. And Pete Scazzaro's work really spoke to that, spoke directly to being able to think through and name what season of life am I in? And that's going to look different for each and every one of us. When we were in the pandemic, we had a shared season there, didn't we? Some people even experienced that differently. But as you walk into this space, maybe you find yourself uh, in a different season. Could look a lot of different ways, right? The way he names it, and we can track with uh, our weather this way, although Californians are terrible at this, but basically... Right, we can look at fall as like a season of transition, right? Things are changing. Or winter, the season of death, where things are barren. There's no visible fruit on the trees. Spring, a time of fruitfulness, right? We celebrate that season of new life. And then summer, the season of abundance, where you would have even more than you thought you would have, Right? Well, Jesus very much is articulating that he's identified the season that he's in. He's in a winter season right now. He's looking at death. And he's teaching us something about what it means to be human that we really don't like. Right? We want to go above it, around it, beside it, anyway, to not have to go through this thing. It's the hardest stuff that we have to face as human beings. But... There's a promise latent within identifying this season. Pete Scazzaro writes about it. He says, The adversity and disruption to our plans of the winter season breaks an illusion that we were ever in control. Yet it also offers a moment to reorient the way we live and follow Jesus. How? By surrendering. Because it highlights something that's real about us, right? We walk into spaces without even knowing it unconsciously sometimes. We just take on the hero role and we think we're here to fix it and to make things happen. And yet when we go through the winter season, we realize there's so many things that are really not in our control. But in the midst of that realization, we learn from Jesus. He says, I'm in this season I'm looking, my hour has come, and let me tell you what's gonna happen because of that. He says, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, what does it do? It produces many more. Therefore, through this process of death, the capacity is growing. The circle is widening. Who's invited is being answered in a whole new way? Jesus is making room and space for unexpected people to come. The table's getting longer. He's saying more and more people will be invited. And the way that that will take place is because I'm going to die. And in my death... It will pave the way for more to come. More will become possible. And then, unfortunately or fortunately, how you want to think about it, he doesn't just say this is his path. Right? He talks to the disciples. He's like, while I'm on this theme, let me teach you something about what you need to know. He says this, And anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. So, this process isn't just a process for Jesus. Now, Jesus had a particular mission, right? We're not doing the exact thing that Jesus did. Because Jesus fulfilled his mission, right? He came so that he would teach and live and ultimately to die on a cross for the salvation of all people. That is not our mission. Our mission is to find our part in partnering with what has already been accomplished through Jesus right and so our goal is not to just do exactly what Jesus did but to learn this way of Jesus and this take up this invitation that there's something about the winter season that teaches us something so valuable and so essential that it can actually guide us right in the hardest part right in the place of death right in the thing that we resist the most that we will do anything to get out of that's actually the place where we can find our mission there's a missionary i've i've, I've told you about her before but it's bears repeating her name's Lilius trotter she went and served in albania what an early pioneer missionary woman And she has these beautiful paintings that she does, but she also has these wonderful teachings that go along with them. This is one of her teachings that she learned out there in the desert as a missionary in Albania. She says this, Take the very hardest thing about your life. So identify, what is it? If I had to rank them, what's the hardest? The place of difficulty. Outward or inward? And then she says something surprising. And expect God to triumph gloriously in that very spot. Just there, he can bring your soul into blossom. So it's by this invitation to Jesus, as he models for us, as he goes first as our servant leader, to be that kernel of wheat that falls and breaks open to make capacity So, too, he invites us to come and he says, this is your biggest growth opportunity. Would you learn how to surrender? Faithfully surrender to God the way that I've modeled how to faithfully surrender to God. And in so doing, see your soul's capacity grow. See that very, the hardest thing in your life come to blossom and bloom. For the flourishing of you, but also for the flourishing of those around you, right? And here's, here's the main point, right? Verse 37. Jesus, continue in this conversation. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. And then he says this. Father, save glorify your name. Jesus shows us why he's here. This is Jesus' mission on earth. He's here to do the hardest thing and he has a reason for why he wants to do it, to bring glory to God. See, God doesn't need us for anything. He is fully himself in every way, fully satisfied, content, powerful a ruler and authority over this world in full power but he says I need somebody to go to earth to show this glory to in person reveal through his face through his body through his action through his ministry my glory I need the world to see my glory. And so that's why this moment is so powerful. Because Jesus says, that's what I'm going to do. And then the heavens open. And as if it's a liturgical call and response moment, God says, that's exactly what you're going to do. That's exactly it. This is it. This is the mission. So for us, what can we do? We savor this glory. We think, what does glory mean? What does it look like? What is the beauty and splendor and goodness of God? And how do we just soak in it? Just realize it, participate in how good it is, thank God for it, and then surrender to it so that it might seep into us, into our souls. A real uh, caution on this note as we think about being on mission would be something like, uh, this past week I got to be up in Oregon for my doctoral studies, and I've been trying to surf in Oregon because it's on the Oregon coast for a long time. Tricky place to surf. There's a lot, a lot of current, a lot of waves, a lot of weather out there. Uh, but this week, it was beautiful and sunny. And it was like, oh, don't go to Oregon on sunny days, because you'll want to move there. Go, go in the winter, because yeah, then you won't want to move there. But when I went out to surf, there was a uniqueness to where, where I was surfing, right? Which I did what California surfer would do, went out, to the place where I thought the waves were, but it took no time at all before I had drifted so far out. And it's, it's kind of a slow movement. You don't really realize it as a surfer out there. Maybe you've been out there where you're like, man, I am so far from where I thought I was. All of a sudden, like there's this drift, this undercurrent drift that's taking you out. You're not really paying attention. You can just go so far out to sea. In fact, in Oregon, they have to bring out the search and rescue for people who get in trouble all the time because they think they know what they're doing. They get out there and they go way too far out with the rip currents and then they have to go get saved. And they warn you about it and they look at you judgmentally like you're going to do this California person. <laughs> at, the, at the surf shop, it happened to me. Uh, and, and I use that analogy because I think one of the important things to think about as we think about mission is our mission drift, right? Like Pete Greer, an author and leadership coach talks about what does mission drift look like? And he he writes about uh, a well-known university that we all know. This is their original mission statement. To be plainly instructed and consider well the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. Founded in 1636, This university employed exclusively Christian professors, emphasized character formation in its students above all else, and has rooted all of its practices in a Christian worldview. This school served as a bastion of academic excellence and Christian distinction. This mission, however, is not from Fuller Theological Seminary. It is not from Wheaton College. It's from Harvard University. And this this statement describes their founding mission. Harvard began as a school to equip ministers to share the good news, right? And there's a way by which if we center ourselves, not to pick on Harvard, right? But if we just think about mission drift, like where something started, even when we've articulated as our goal, and the thing that we want most, how slowly over time, without paying attention, if we center, like even if we center the church, If our ecclesiology is before our Christology and our missiology, then we have it wrong. Meaning that we're just sitting thinking, what does the church need, what does the church need, what does the church need before we're thinking who Jesus is and what does Jesus call us to do in the world and then how do we make the church out of those two things. For your life, if you center yourself, if you have yet to surrender, then you have yet to discover the mission right? Because you can drift off making all kinds of decisions about yourself that just simply don't add up to your life's mission in the world that was given to you by God. One final idea before we lead to communion. Jesus' invitation at the end of this text is to become children of the light. This is what Dallas Willard articulates children of the light experience. He says this, they think about God and as a result, are open to all other good things. They love and are thankful for their lives. They are devoted to doing what is good and right. They are constantly poised to do what is right and good without thinking. They are transparent and non-condemning in their relationships with others. They flow, they are deep, and do all these things apparently effortlessly. Not constantly trying hard. So let's just recalibrate for a sec. I'm going to give you a moment of silence. Maybe you just want to think about where you're at on your mission. In light of God's mission. Here's the good news. Wherever you are in that. Jesus says that I will be lifted up. Jesus has been lifted up and is drawing all of us back. To himself and so as you think about that would you just look full into who Christ is and feel him draw you close take a moment by yourself in silence just ask God God where am I in my mission with you Lord Jesus, your presence is sweet. Return us to the work that you would have us to do. Return us to you, Father God. Help us uh, now as we prepare for communion to know that we are invited, that we are so uh, welcome at the table that you have prepared for us here in your church here together at St. Andrews as one community, as the body of St. Andrews. Precious and holy name we pray. Amen.